Hello, and welcome to Science Brunch with me, Katie McKissick, creator of Beatrice the Biologist, and my good friend, May Prince, a directionless artist. <laughs> is that you. how you describe yourself? That is actually... I feel like that's unfair. Exactly how I describe <laughs> So what are we doing, May? The point of Science Brunch is to talk about all of the science things that we perhaps learned as kids or in school at some point and think that we know, but really have no idea. And just things that we've learned... And random things like about the butterflies in my backyard, you know, just stuff like that. It's totally normal. So yeah, we'll talk about science, scientists, some science newsy things, depending on how we feel. Mm -hmm. It'll be great, I I, think. I think so. Okay. And uh, if it's not, then we'll hear about it in the comments. So it's fine. (laughs) Don't worry about it. If it's not, just just tweet. Yeah. (laughs) It's fine. So anything new this week we we should talk about? I've heard there are some gravitational things happening there was something in something the i think it that. might have been a really big deal yeah i don't know no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah in, in case in case you weren't on twitter or or you know watching the news watching the news or, or anything or talking to people yeah if you were you know hold up at home as one does mm-hmm. just playing video games or something you might not have heard that gravitational waves were detected for the first time, actually, back in September, it's just that they have spent a lot of time making absolutely sure. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to say that you did it and go, oh, actually, sorry, that was just a train going by. Yeah, which actually <laughs> happened in, I think, late 2014. They announced that they had detected gravitational waves at the South Pole and then d- figured out that, no, that was just interference from the Earth. Exactly, because we're talking about really, really tiny things. I think it's, I think the size of one of these waves is a billionth the size of an atom. Yes. I mean... So yeah, so truly, I mean, I'm not even kidding when I say it's there's a train going by because they have, you know, at LIGO, it's, you know, it's, they're detecting sl- changes in lasers thousands of miles apart, you know, to see if it moves at all, just to, to sense these waves. And it's like, oh, sorry, that was just him burping down the hall. <laughs> yeah. Like it wasn't actually. Well, they, they said that, that, that when they were building the facility, um, they, one of their tests involved, one of their researchers owned a, a, a motorcycle of some kind, like a Harley. And he sat outside on the motorcycle and revved the engine and when they couldn't detect that in the equipment, then they were like, okay, we're, we're probably good. Nice. <laughs> nice. We probably aren't getting environmental noise in this. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So and it, is, it is exactly 100 years after Einstein published, right? Pretty much, yeah. That's just beautiful. I'm really glad they timed it that way. Did they do that on purpose? <laughs> Back in the late 70s, they were like, you know what? We're going to request NSF funding for this next year, and then we're going to wait 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I I support that decision. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's so, very well timed. So it turns guys. out Einstein was pretty smart and actually was right about this. Yeah. No one saw that coming. No. Yeah. He's such Not a moron. <laughs> Thanks, Einstein. Yeah, I did see people were like, you know what? If you're going to bet on anyone, it's pretty safe to bet on Einstein. Yeah, for he sure. He seems to know what he was talking about a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. We will talk about him for sure in an upcoming episode. Yeah, because this is huge. Uh, I mean, if, if you take anything away from this, it's that this is a brand new way of seeing the universe. This is a way of seeing black holes, which if you know anything about black holes is that they are so powerful that they suck light into them. So there's no way to actually see them with your eyes. Mm-hmm. So this is a way of seeing black holes and figuring out what is going on with them and study how they actually bend space time around them. I mean, that's, that's, I think, the biggest takeaway is that right now, the only way that we can observe things is with the electromagnetic spectrum, which yep. includes visible light. So it's like looking into a telescope and being like, yeah, I can see Saturn with my telescope. That's cool. That's visible light. 
we can look at things with x-rays and there are those really cool pictures of of really far away galaxies through x-rays or infrared or uv and but that's it like we have those waves mm-hmm. that we've you know you've heard of most of them you know but this is completely different and it's a whole other way of measuring things and observing things it's like we've just actually discovered an entirely new sense yep like, it's like we just grew a, yeah, we have eyes and ears, but it's like, oh, we just grew a, like a third eyeball that can sense something else. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, I, I mean, they were comparing this to the first time that people used telescopes yeah. and aimed them at the sky. And we're yeah. like, oh, I can actually see the rings of Saturn. <laughs> so we're going to be discovering all sorts of new stuff, which is going to be amazing. So I'm excited. I'm excited that's going to happen in my lifetime. And uh, just as excited I was when we discovered the giant squid, but that's like a whole other discussion. Well, I discovered that I had a butterfly in my living room. <laughs> oh my God, you guys. So there were two huge scientific <laughs> discoveries this week. Of equal importance. <laughs> of equal importance. First, Einstein's theory of gravitational waves confirmed. And then I gave birth to a butterfly. Amazing. <laughs> so, so seriously though, uh, four months ago, um, I have this little teeny tiny orange tree. I mean, it's seriously, it's a foot, like a foot tall. It hasn't grown yet. <laughs> it's just like this pathetic little thing. Um, but uh, my husband found uh, what looked like a just giant bird poop on it, but it turned out to be uh, a, a caterpillar. And because so, he took it off, he's like, what is this thing? And he took it inside to sh- just sh- show me and to kind of, he was just going to put it in a jar and give it leaves because it was destroying the tree, this itty bitty tree. It doesn't have that many leaves. Mm-hmm. So when the butterfly, I mean, excuse me, caterpillar was going by and eating like half of every leaf, it was like, dude, you're like really ruining this. Can you just eat them one at a time? It's like finish your meal and then move on. It's like kids that will only eat the yeah. center of the toast. Don't be so rude. Like, come on. So he took it inside and was just going to give it leaves while it's in the jar and, you know, whatever. And then it uh, cocooned itself really quickly. I mean, it was like within like two days. It was like, okay, thanks. I'm going to take a nap, nap time. now. Hmm. And at first, my husband was like, oh, my God, he died. I'm like, no, no. Like, I can see him suspended from this little – because he put a twig in there with some leaves on it. So mm. I was like, no, he's – this is a cocoon. Okay, well, let's just leave him in there and see what happens. And and then a week or two later, he found another one that was really itty-bitty, the cat- another caterpillar. We put that one in a jar. It grew, eating the leaves that we were feeding it, and then it cocooned itself as well. That one cocooned itself straight up on the side of the mason jar, so you can hmm. actually see every single little spindle fiber that at, that it uses to you know glom its you know self onto something, so it doesn't you know fly just like fall off the tree while That's it's awesome. in there. Um, the one that we got second actually hatched about a month ago. So hmm. and it was cool because I'd never. I mean, this is one of those like really basic things when you have little kids, you know, get caterpillars and watch them change. But I never actually did it, so it was really fun. I've never done it either. Yeah. <laughs> so I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the Facebook posts, and the Instagram yeah. pictures. Yeah, and when they take forever because this is a, a a giant black swallowtail butterfly, and I don't know how long other butterflies take, but these can take up to four months. Hmm. And one of them took three months, and then yeah, the day before it wound up hatching, it actually did look different. You could kind of see it inside a little bit like the cocoon became a little more translucent because up until then it really just looks like tree bark it's really dark and just kind of hmm. um you know brown um but yes yeah, so you could kind of see something and then yeah sure enough the next day we walked over and there was this gigantic butterfly in this jar so we let him out and he, <laughs> he had like, a great time <laughs> help me <laughs> um and then this one just been chilling for five more weeks and it was in there first so we were like is he is he did he die i mean how many of them just like are like stillborn. Yeah. <laughs> just like, just don't, just don't make it out. <laughs> they just go in there and go, oh, something went wrong. But, um, but yeah, he just hatched the other day and. So he's just really, really lazy. Yeah. He just needed some extra time. You know, not everyone's on that's, the same schedule. That's true. Some people, myself included, need longer sometimes. 
but yeah, it was it was pretty cool. I was I mean I was actually thinking he was either dead or I was just gonna want my jar back, and I would just in that case because he attached himself to a stick, I could uh-huh. just remove it and put it outside, and it would be like he'd been out the whole the whole time. It's yeah. like that's where he would have come out anyway. And it's eighty five degrees outside. Yeah, it's not like he's exactly. Gonna so it's like you'll be fine. <laughs> just like whatever. Awesome. So I'm a butterfly mom now. That's that's nice, yeah. and they've already moved out. Mm-hmm. Which I'm I an empty nester. Ideal. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you doing with your time now? Just science brunch? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Well, today we're going to talk about Marie Curie, whom I think everyone has heard of at one point or another. They know she has something to do with radioactivity, Mm -hmm. discovering radioactivity. She was married to a scientist. I actually dressed up like her in the fifth grade and had to give a talk Mm -hmm. about whatever. Yeah, I think I, I, I was very shy, and so I completely blacked out, and I don't remember anything about it. Except that I wore my mom's um, coral skirt pulled all the way up to my tiny boobs. <laughs> and <laughs> I made myself spectacles out of a coat hanger. Aww. I don't even, I, I don't know. Did I see a picture of Marie Curie with like spectacles? It, in all the pictures I saw now, she is not wearing glasses. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know You're where I like, got well, my information. You're just like, well, she's smart. She must need glasses. Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of like prejudicial weirdness mm-hmm. going on in that mm-hmm. presentation, I'm sure. But I, I re-studied up on her and found out all sorts of interesting things the one thing that i thought was true was that she was french which we oui. untrue oh no no <laughs> all right she's polish yes it's I pronounced ding, polish ding, ding. <laughs> she is from polish she she is from polish she where was, they make the sausages she was born in warsaw mm. which is in poland in case you didn't know and that was 1867 so that was around the same time like just the united states was recovering from the civil war yeah, finishing that up real good time there um poland wasn't doing so hot either it was under russian rule at the time and apparently there were a lot of restrictions on what people were allowed to do and yeah, poland had a tough gig i would They've say they had a bit of a tough gig I, I think i think this period in their history lasted about 150 years where they were not in charge of their own destiny hmm. yeah not great yeah. and uh they, they were restricted about whether they could learn to read and write in their own language, like that kind of thing. Kind of like Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> Veering away from the political implications of, of that statement. Um, so she, she grew up in Poland. Her parents were both really smart people, instructors at you know a local high school for women. And she completed high school at age 14. So not too bad. And that usually class. did go to 18, right? Like it does now? I, I, I think so. Or, you know, you just stop and get married and have a bunch of kids. Of course. So she finished high school. She, uh, her dream was to study physics and math. Her father was a professor of mathematics. And her older sister wanted to study medicine. Mm. Problem, both poor, super poor. Oh, boo. Yeah. So they actually made a pact with each other. And her sister said, okay, how about you support me while I go study medicine in Mm -hmm. Paris? Because, of course, Warsaw University not accepting women at that time. (sighs) Thanks, Warsaw. Um, You really missed out, actually. So so the plan was, her sister was like, I want to study medicine. You want to study physics and math. Let's switch off. I'll go first. You support me. Then we'll switch and Tag, I'll support you're you. It. Exactly. High five on the way. High five on the way. And then, you know, degrees all around. Well, that's really sweet. So that actually kind of worked out for them. She supported her sister through medical school for five years. Mm-hmm. She worked as a governess, which she hated, apparently. Mm. Excuse me, I'm burping. <laughs> <laughs> she worked you know, as a... Marie Curie never would have done that. <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> she was a lady. <laughs> she um, was a governess. She was a governess. Apparently, she was very proud of herself that she was trying to behave herself and going to church when she should. She was not a religious person. Um, she wrote home, was like, yeah, I'm doing really well. I'm not skipping out on church Look at or me. Anything. I'm following the rules. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, Good job, Marie. And then after that, when she was in her mid-20s, at that point, she had kind of lost motivation. She was depressed. She was discouraged. She was like, you know what? Forget it. I'm mm-hmm. just going to stay in Poland, and I'm going to take care of Dad. No. Well, that's nice, but yeah. no. <laughs> I mean, heart's in the right place. Her sister was actually the one to convince her and said, you need to get to Paris right now. We're going to take care of you. You're going to go to school. You're going to do your degrees. Man, if only everyone had such a cool sister. I know, or right? Just both of them. You know, her sister, Branya. Thank you, Branya. Because without her, I don't know if we would have gotten a Marie Curie out of this whole thing. We should invite her to brunch, too. Yeah. she <laughs> She's invited. <laughs> Drinks are on the house. <laughs> so Marie heads to Paris, is living with her sister and her sister's husband, and she enrolls at the Sorbonne, the University of Paris. And it's at that point... So her her name growing up was Maria Sklodowski, mm-hmm. because, again, Polish. When she enrolled in Paris, she changed her first name from Maria to Marie. Is that more French? More French. It's like when you take a foreign language in high school and your teacher's like, no, you can't be Katie. There are no Katies in Spain. It's Catalina. It's Catalina. Your name's Catalina. Exactly. Like, oh, okay. Was it, wait, where did you take Spanish? Yes, I did. And your name was Catalina? That's an actual example. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I took German. My name was Nadia. <laughs> I was Catalina. So, yeah, she did the same thing. She kind of stuck on the same wavelength. She did not go from May to Nadia. She went from Maria to Marie. So, same page. She was very poor again. She ended up, you know, you remember your first apartment in college. It was, like, it was great. It was great. <laughs> no. It did I not mean, have it was horrible. Excuse yeah. me. Different word. So yeah, she had a very similar living setup. She right. was living in an attic, not eating. She couldn't afford heat. So wait, it's kind of like, what is that movie set in Paris with the mouse that is helping him cook? Ratatouille. So it's kind of like that. Yes. That's it, what you're saying. Ratatouille like is basically the story of Marie Curie. In ca- I had a suspicion. Yeah. It's kind of... <laughs> it's... it's they, they, they ripped off that whole story from Marie Curie. <laughs> they just swapped in cooking for chemistry. Exactly. Cooking is chemistry. Oh it's the same God, thing. does that make sense? What's the guy's name? His, he's Pierre Curie in this whole situation. I don't remember what that guy's He's just like, is. but he's not like a complete idiot. Anyway, I'm sorry. We're, we're veering off topic. But anyway, so... This she, is brunch. We're allowed to do whatever we want. This is true. So she, she registered at the Sorbonne. She realized quite soon that all of her self-study was not up to par. So mm. she just like buckled down. and was like, I'm going to learn everything I can about physics and math. She ended up getting two degrees from the University of Paris. I mean, this is a time where women were allowed, I guess, to register for classes. But there were no women on the faculty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was frowned upon. Let's just let's right. be frank. So they kind of just... Like, looked the other way, I guess. Kind of like, okay, fine, if you want to waste your time and try to use your brain, we'll just let you. I really don't know what the situation was. But, yeah, yeah, there were no women on the faculty at that time. Um, Foreshadowing. (laughs) (laughs) Could we add a little foreshadowing music? (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So she earned two master's degrees, one in physics, one in mathematics, back to back. Um, and then she slept for a year. No. <laughs> then she, she, while she was at school, the second year she was at school, 
she met Pierre. Pierre. Yes. So he, when he first saw her, he had apparently sworn off women because he had some kind of traumatic experience. And he was like, no, That's I'm just, just what all guys do college, going to devote myself sure. to science. Yeah, exactly. The typical college experience. So anyway, he pursued her. Eventually, she kind of relented. I think she decided, you know, this guy's okay. And he's not going to leave me alone. I mean, so. he's sciencey. I'm sciencey. He's not going to leave me alone. It's, just, it's like a romantic comedy. <laughs> a modern day romantic oh God, comedy. It's so annoying. Um, Guys, actually, just, heart of gold. just keep stalking that lady. Oh, no, and no. Eventually, she'll You guys, no, seriously, don't do that. Please. Don't do that. This is terrible. The, no, no. This is a completely uh, consensual <laughs> relationship of equals. About, like, what are you saying about Pierre? <laughs> No, no, no. I think I think Marie eventually decided, you know, this guy's pretty cool. It's a husband who's going to let me hang out in the lab all day right. and be in the lab with me. And, you know. Right. Super supportive. Super supportive. Yeah. What better Wanting situation could she ask for? Yeah. In the late 1800s, that's a pretty good gig. I'd so, say so. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. And he, same thing for him, too, because he, she ended up making him famous, basically. So it's a good deal. She decided she wants to get her My doctorate. My husband hasn't done anything like that. <laughs> he sucks. I've been meaning to tell you. <laughs> God, that guy. Um, so anyway, they get married. They buy his and hers bicycles, Aww. go on vacation, Aww. come back. She's like, you know what? Two master's degrees, not quite enough. I want to go for my doctorate. Mm-hmm. So he's like, all right, well, you need to find a thesis topic that's super cool. And there's these mysterious rays that have just been discovered that come out of, you know, elements and no one knows what they are and i've heard they're totally them. not bad for your health totally whatsoever. not bad for your health yeah. actually you know you should good eat, for you eat maybe. them for breakfast yeah and so she decides awesome this is a brand new field no one knows anything about this we're going to study this so what the guy discovered was that uranium emits these rays which eventually became known as radioactivity mm-hmm. and the first thing she did was go through all of the elements that they had discovered up until that point in science and to see if any of them emitted these rays, found out that thorium also did. And then she started really trying to figure out what exactly it was, what was causing these rays. At the time, they didn't know what the structure of an atom meant. They didn't understand that if you take away a proton or a neutron or whatever, you're changing the actual chemical characteristic of that element into another element. I can't even imagine trying to figure this stuff out before we had some of those fundamentals down. Yeah. It was just all like piecemeal i mean it's like putting together a puzzle with half the pieces and trying to see the picture and not realizing that you can snap a piece in half and make it into another piece or add pieces together and make a brand new piece this puzzle is the worst it's the worst i mean it's the most complicated because they were like no hydrogen is hydrogen gold is gold they never change right i mean alchemy kind of suggested otherwise yeah that was still going on huh they they really didn't know what was going on with with atoms So she starts studying it. She discovers that the amount of radiation coming off of a piece of uranium is directly proportional to the amount of uranium. So she's like, okay, so... That's a start. That's a start. Uranium... Something makes sense. In this amount makes this amount of radioactivity. Half of it makes half of the the radioactivity. Exactly. And then she discovers that certain samples that contain uranium have more, way more radioactivity than the amount of uranium in them would dictate what so she's like is this magical uranium yes (laughs) yes it basically is what she discovered was it's a brand new element that no one knew about up until this point and that is what's causing this massive amount of radiation like 
way more than uranium. And so let's just talk about how she's doing all of this without any protective gear right now, too. Yes. So she's <laughs> yes. she owns two dresses. <laughs> she wears them in the lab all the time. And yes, there's no there's no concept Aww. at this time that radiation is bad. It just makes me sick. I mean, they don't even know it. what it is. Uh-huh. Yeah. So she's handling all this stuff. So she then spends the next 45 months with her husband. Because at this point, Pierre is like, he's studying crystals. Mm-hmm. That's his area of study. Boring. Boring. I know. <laughs> crystals, boo. <laughs> They're so not bad for your health. What is this? The thrill. They should have totally studied the crystals, you guys. <laughs> Yeah, but he mm. sees that she basically has discovered a second element, but doesn't know what it is. And he's like, oh, I am getting on this chemistry train because mm. this is awesome. So he jumps in with her and starts working with her. And they don't have lab space. Like at this time, they're both instructors and they're just like trying to make a living as so teachers. they're like adjunct faculty today. Just like. Yeah, but at like a high school. Oh, like man. they're just. You know that is bleak. It, it's it's pretty bleak. I mean, think about what adjuncts make now. That's what they were making then. Yeah, <laughs> and they were working. And, and, and his honestly, his school is very supportive of him because he asked them for lab space, and the school's like, "Well, we have this shed in the courtyard that we used to use to do dissections and store lumber, but you can use that. <laughs> just move the shovels over. Yeah, and... but please, please don't get rid of the shovels. Please just move <laughs> move them into a corner. We need those." But you can and, use yeah, it. Yeah, landscaper guys will be coming in and out all day. That's cool, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, you know, putting the lawnmower. They didn't have lawnmowers. Um, <laughs> so they're, they're working in this shed for 45 months. And at that time, they are finally able to determine that, yes, there are actually two new elements. She names the first one polonium. Let me guess, let me guess. Yeah. Because of Poland. Exactly. <gasps> exactly because of Poland. There are actually the homeland. several elements named after countries. Wait, you, you what does the Polish accent sound like? Um, I'm pretty sure it's heavy. Not... <laughs> I don't know. We had a Polish landlord once and he was the nicest guy. Um, I went to school with a guy in high school who spoke Polish because his parents were from there. I'm pretty sure he was born in the U.S., but I never, I don't think I ever heard his parents say anything. So... Yeah, I mean, it just no sounds, if you don't know the difference, which I didn't, it sounds kind of Russian to me. So it's from, wait, I do a pretty good it's Russian like, accent, actually, but. Think of a James Bond villain, but like a nice I one. am from Poland. And that was oh, our that's landlord. That, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can do a Russian accent. He was convinced I was Polish as well and would not believe me. When <laughs> I t- he was like, no, you're Polish. That's po- a you're Polish. really weird thing to feel so strongly about. I know. It's like, let me force my ethnicity on you. <laughs> Like, no, I can tell. Okay. (laughs) Anywho. Anywho. In 1898, so this is before the turn of the century, they announce that they have a new element, probably. But they don't know what it is. And everyone's like, great. That's great news. But (laughs) what is it? Please tell us what it is and how what its atomic weight is. So they knew that one of them was polonium. They were looking into the second one. And they basically boiled down a whole bunch of ore, like tons and tons of ore. Like literally tons. Literally tons. Uh. I think it was eight tons to get a one gram sample. Oh, God. And they eventually came up with like a gram of radium, which was the second element that they discovered, which was highly radioactive, as we know now. So it's tedious, ultra glamorous being out in the, the shed. And extremely dangerous. Yeah. Science, kids. The radioactivity (laughs) of radium is 
two million times stronger than the radioactivity of uranium. Damn. So not not great for you in yeah. retrospect. Um, but they they isolated a sample. They figured out the atomic weight. They started publishing about their discovery. And people were highly impressed. She got her doctorate degree, 1903. Woo! And in that same year, they received notice that they had won the Nobel Prize in physics, along with Henry Becquerel, who had also discovered radioactivity. And <laughs> even after that, Pierre had been trying to get in the Sorbonne for the longest time. And after that, the Sorbonne was like, okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, since you've won a Nobel, <laughs> I guess we'll you, let you come do over. Do you want a position on the faculty? So he accepted. He still had to fight them for lab space. He was like, no, what? but I actually want to do stuff. Who are stuff. they giving it to if not a Nobel Prize winner? I don't know. I mean, we're actually, was the Nobel not as big of a deal back then or something? It was a big deal. But I think Pierre was not great at schmoozing, oh. which was, I think, an important element of uh, getting uh, appointed to the Sorbonne faculty. I hear it still is. I was kidding. I don't know. Yeah. Probably. So anyway, he, he, he gets his, his Nobel Prize. He gets a position on the faculty making 10,000 francs a year. Woot. And he convinces them that the only person who can run his lab with any sort of competence is his wife. And um, so she gets an an assistant lab position for 2,000 a year. Hmm. Um, After that, tragedy. What? Yeah, so, you know, they they don't make it, these two crazy kids. I do know that, but, yeah, I don't know... How? Yeah, so, um, you know, not too long after that, Pierre gets hit in the street by a cart, a horse-drawn cart, and is instantly killed. That's a tough way to go. Yeah, I mean... Not a not a way a Nobel Prize winner should go. No, exactly. Ugh. And and at the time, they had two kids, two young girls, mm. Irene and Eve, and then Marie was basically left completely alone. Um, she had her, her father-in-law living with them, helping them out, but she became completely despondent and discouraged, didn't know what to do. The Sorbonne was like, what do we do with this lady? Mm. Like, now that this guy is dead, but she's running his lab, like, what do we do? Well, she got the Nobel Prize, too. Yeah. Right? She won along with him. But they're still just like, but she's they're still a, like lady bits. What, what are we, we going to do? What do we do with this lab assistant? Hmm. We don't know. And so um, her, family, her family actually convinced the university to be like you can't get rid of her like she's awesome so they kept her but then they didn't know what to do with her and they eventually decided well we'll just make her a faculty member the first woman faculty member at the university of paris was marie curie trumpets all it took was winning a nobel prize and discovering two new elements everyone can do it everyone can do it (laughs) never give up just win a nobel and you're gonna by the skin of her teeth got that (laughs) faculty appointment but to her credit she did get equal pay wow so she wasn't paid 70 cents on the dollar she was paid the full 10k francs per year just like her husband nice and um she found a little bit of happiness she uh she hooked up with an old family friend who was also, you know, a scientist. He was married, so that didn't work out well. His wife Ooh. tried to chase her out of France. and Drama. Yeah, lots of drama in the press. And in fact, in the middle of all that drama, Marie finds out that she won the Nobel Prize in chemistry. <laughs> because in the meantime... I can't even imagine... Wait, how long is this after... 
see, because he died what year? I believe this is. Because this is, I mean, it's all pretty, pretty close together. I can't it's even imagine pretty, it's how like, stressing, stressful. Because even because you know someone dies, all this drama, and then even good news, big changes are still, you know, it's still stress. Even if it's like, oh, I once saw. It's like I can't imagine all this change. Yeah, this was. I think. Oh God, I have to look it up. I oh, think I'm sorry. it was. I think it was 1911. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, she won the 1911 Nobel Prize in Chemistry. Um, this time by her lonesome but it was in kind of in recognition also of the the work that she had done with her husband who... because of course nobels cannot be awarded posthumously if you're dead you don't get one right if you're dead they're like bye <laughs> we don't care what you did <laughs> sorry guys um so i feel like that's kind of silly i don't know i mean maybe they just feel like it won't be as celebratory if someone's dead i, I just i don't understand why I don't know. It just makes no sense to me. Yeah, so the impressive thing here is that not only was she the first woman to win a Nobel Prize, she was the first person to win two. Mm-hmm. And she did all of this work, most all of it, in a shed. Right. In a courtyard. Yeah, girl never had like a real lab. Never. Her had husband it. never saw an actual right. lab at the Sorbonne. It was Nothing only after his of death. What the work that they were doing at all. I mean, no. Not even, not even close. No. And the Sorbonne, I mean, they had to be really dragged into hiring either one of them. Right. And I'm not, I mean, they had to be convinced to keep her on. Like, they deserve. See what I want to know. Zero credit. Is how many lab spaces now at the Sorbonne are named after them. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, now, we're real sorry about doing it that way. I'm You're, sure they claim her as an alum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's probably several buildings or, you know, there's probably a cafeteria named after them. They're like, yeah, you know, she went here. So in conclusion, Marie Curie, two Nobel Prizes, a life of tragedy. She eventually died in 1934 at the age of 67. Um, from health conditions exacerbated by right. handling. I feel like all things considered, that's a pretty good run considering how much radiation she would have been exposed it's, to. It's not bad. It's yeah. not bad. And, you know, on top of it, she, she died in 1934. A year later, her daughter won the Nobel Prize <laughs> in chemistry for studying polonium, which right. was the first element that she had discovered with Pierre. It's so, so poetic. Not bad. Yeah. All told. It's this kind of the kind of thing that I mean, if that was in a movie, I mean, you know, if, if someone just wrote this story, it'd be like, that's no one would believe this. It's just oh, like a year later her daughter would come on. Yeah. <laughs> it would just be... And her granddaughter, who was the you know, the daughter of the daughter who won the Nobel Prize. Mm-hmm. Not the loser daughter who didn't win a Nobel yeah, Prize. Not that loser. <laughs> who turned out to be immensely successful in her own right. Yeah, which... not, not the super disappointing one. <laughs> The super disappointing one who who worked for the United Nations or whatever. Yeah, her. Oh, the oh, worst. It's terrible. <laughs> um, but yeah, her her granddaughter is a nuclear physicist. Of course she is. A highly respected nuclear <laughs> physicist. And so this family, you cannot lose with this family. If you have a chance, you should definitely marry a Curie mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're awesome. Did they? Did I wonder if she had kids? I wonder if they're still they're still going. I think they are. Okay. I mean, I looked at their family tree, and there's an immense amount of just scientific success. Yeah, when we talk about future future scientists, we should always, you know, actually look up and see if they have living direct descendants. I mean, I'm sure they have probably have great nieces and nephews and stuff. But um, like Einstein, not so much. Oh, did they not have kids? I don't. 
No we'll one, find out. No later. one knows. He's <laughs> <laughs> a liberal <laughs> arts major. No one ever heard of. Him. Well, I don't. I don't. I don't think there are any living Darwins these days. Oh, that's I mean, ironic. he did have a lot of kids, but I don't. I don't know. Oh, we'll have to look it up. That's that stings a bit. But I don't want to. Yeah, I know. Ugh, yeah, it really does. <laughs> but we don't want to call him out or anything. But yeah. So. Um, so good job, Curies. Yeah, good job, Curies. It's a very good nature versus nurture question. I mean, are they just absolutely naturally brilliant, or is it just that it's clearly a, a family priority? I mean, don't they, were there no rebels that were like, no, I'm not going to win a Nobel Prize. I don't want one. Well, <laughs> don't other, make me try her, to get one. Her other daughter. <laughs> her other daughter was like, eh, I'm not going to go into the sciences. I'm going to rule the world instead. Yeah. It, peacefully, of course. Peacefully. Yes. Yes. But yeah, I mean, that's very impressive. I, I would, yeah. if my mother won, was the first person in the history of the world to win two Nobel Prizes. Yeah, I feel like I would have been really intimidated. In science, I'd be like, no, I'm going to go into poetry or something. Exactly. Just like take myself out of the running. Yeah. But no, Irene's like, I'm going to, I'm going to double down. Yeah, it would be really it. like, there's no way I could ever live up to, to my mom. She's too cool. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure. Good job, girls, for not, you know, letting it get to you. A plus. <laughs> a plus. So I think we should definitely, I mean, so our question at the end of most episodes will be, do you want to have brunch with this person? Mm-hmm. Because we're eventually going to talk about a scientist here or there that we don't want to have a brunch with. True. <laughs> Did great things, but no thank you. <laughs> I'll admire you from afar. But I think I'd like to have, have brunch with Marie Curie. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think she's probably a pretty solemn person. But I like that. <laughs> but she sounds like a romantic at the yeah. same time. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, I'm fascinated by the fact that it took them 45 months in a, in a shed to come up with a one gram sample of radium. I can't even imagine how that would just like be soul crushing for me. Like I get, you know, at the end of a day, be like, yeah, I didn't really achieve anything I can measure today because <laughs> it's going to take that long to get a gram. Yeah. But you know, actually, there was a a touch of romance. I mean, after they finally isolated a large enough sample, um, and this is told in in the biography written by her daughter, her her failure of a daughter, Eve, (laughs) wrote this, you know, (laughs) the first biography about Marie Curie, her mother. (laughs) Um, But yeah, apparently after they isolated the first sample, they went home, put the kid to bed, went back to the lab, didn't turn on any of the lights, but just sat and looked at the glowing sample oh, of gosh. radium. You know, it's kind of romantic. I mean, <laughs> I mean, knowing what it is, I'm just yeah. really creeped out right now. Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> you, you romance, would... <laughs> creepiness, potato, potato. Well, Wait, that is that's and, beautiful. And I mean, to this day, everything that was in their lab and all of their papers are highly radioactive. Right. And um, you know, if you're if you're a scholar and you want to study any of that stuff, you have to wear a full on yeah, radiation up. suit yeah. in order to even handle that material. Yeah. So that's the level of um, yeah. Know, I don't know what the half life of these things is, but it's got to be hundreds, thousands of years. I mean, oh my god. Yeah. So we can, it's it's going to be a minute yeah. before you can just just touch yeah. your stuff. I I saw her tomb. I mean, because she's, you know, she's in, uh, I guess it's called a tomb, mm-hmm. underground place you can go visit. It's not in the ground. So it's, it's Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What? We don't really do that here very much. So yeah, we don't, we don't like to bury above ground <laughs> so much. But, but yeah, she and Pierre, right next to, next door to Alexander Dumas, who wrote Count of Monte Cristo. 
I was like, hey, all my favorite French yeah. people are here. What's up, guys? Do you think Alexander Dumas is actually in that grave, or did he escape? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> He's out seeking revenge somewhere. What he does That's best. what I like to think. Yeah, I love that book. <laughs> I read it at freshman year of high school. It's like, this guy has his priorities straight. I know. I was like, well, I want to be the Count of Monte Cristo when I grow up. <laughs> Seriously. But yeah, I think she would she would be a good brunch companion. And, uh, you know, I, th- I mean, there have been movies made about her life. I would like to see one made where Helena Bonham Carter plays her. Oh, totally. The hair? Yeah. Spot on. Sp- the, the hair, the eyes. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look up pictures of Marie Curie, she yeah, looks she an intense looking lady. Yeah, she does have those kind of wild eyes, like really intense. And... She, just look, she looks like she's looking into your soul. I mean, mm-hmm. that might be the radium a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure she can see into my soul from the internet picture. No, for sure. <laughs> Oh man! And yeah, and uh, um, uh, what? Uh, yeah, what, I see that Tim movie. Burton could, uh-huh. could play Pierre Curie. I think I totally could carry it off. He'd have to comb his hair. <laughs> he's but, not gonna do that. But he has the facial hair for it. I know he's not gonna do that, is he? Maybe it would actually be the first good Tim Burton movie in a while. Then. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Sorry, Tim Burton. Burn. <laughs> Don't touch Beetlejuice. Don't bring it back. Radiation burn. Leave it alone. Too or wait, soon. no, it's a sequel. I think to Beetlejuice that they're talking about doing. God damn it. <laughs> Don't ruin one of my favorite childhood movies. <laughs> Just leave it alone. This argument has been made about other movies, by the way. I know. That are being remade this year that we are going to go see. Ghostbusters. <laughs> that I'm excited for, though. You can't you can't ruin that. I, I take it back. I take it back. Nothing will ever ruin how wonderful Beetlejuice is. Mm-hmm. Making, I think it's a sequel. I don't think they're remaking it. But I, I'd rather they didn't because it's not going to be very good. There's just like no way it will be. But... It's not ever going to ruin Beetlejuice because that movie is so wonderful. <laughs> well, speaking of remakes, if there were, you know, one of the things we consider is if we could travel back into time mm-hmm. and see this scientist kind of in their prime, what would we do? What what would be the one piece of information or equipment that we would give them? Uh, obviously, some yeah. safety gear. Lead aprons for everyone. Or or we would just find, because um, so uh, money is worth a lot more now than it was back then. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So what we would do is we'd just pool some money and we'd go buy them a building so they could actually have a lab. Yeah. That? that would be nice. Yeah. Or just like, you know, a better pop-up tent. I mean, I'm sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Patagonia has some good tents that would be better than the shed that they were working in. Exactly. But yeah, mm-hmm. le- lead-lined mech suits mm-hmm. for the entire family. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't even imagine what she would have accomplished if she had been able to live. Cause yeah, because she probably wasn't doing well for she like wasn't, a decade. Yeah, I mean, she not, wasn't like doing she was so like, great. Oh, I'm fine. And then in 67, it just all hit her. I mean, this really takes a toll in yeah. a very slow, degenerative well, even, way. Even when uh, she and her husband won the, the Nobel Prize, they were both feeling the effects of, yeah. I think, too much work. And probably too much radiation. And so it was kind of a downward slope from there. Mm -hmm. And she never quite got back up to her full working potential. And, you know, that was because I think it was her failing health. And I think a lot of that was exacerbated by the radiation. Mm -hmm. Um, She She was the first radium girl. She was, but she never really bought into the harmful effects of radium. Really? No, even though they knew that it could burn you. You know, oh. you, you could, like, hold a vial in your hand, and then two weeks later, you had a burn. Like, right, right. That seems kind of screwed up. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't hold it in your hand all the so time. So she was like, no, no, no. It's it's not that. I No, she knew that it was caused oh. by that, but it, I don't think they ever considered the effect on someone's entire body. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, because yeah. they, they used it to then start treating cancers and stuff, because they were like, right. oh, my God, this is a miracle. Right. You can hold something outside your body 
and treat a disease inside your body. So that was considered amazing. And they actually started using radium in a lot of different health remedies, which turned out not to be great. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. And as they say. Yeah. So uh, we're not using radium anymore for mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And that's why you have to limit your radiation exposure through x-rays and flying coast to coast and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So... Don't I'm eat. sure we'll talk about radiation in the future too. Yeah, don't, don't worry. Don't eat radiation, kids. Yeah, don't eat that radiation candy you've been you've been snacking on. Yeah, just cut <laughs> that, that out. <laughs> so that is it for the first episode of Science Brunch. Thank you so much for joining us. Please come back next time when we're talking about Charles Darwin, my good friend Charlie. Good old Charlie. Yeah, we're gonna talk about him and uh, lots of other random things because that's what we do. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Science Brunch. We are on Facebook at Science Brunch, sciencebrunch.org. And if you want to tell us how much you love us, you can email us at sciencebrunch at gmail.com. Emphasis on love us. Otherwise, please don't email us. Okay, that's it. Bye now. See you next time. (laughs) 